Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, I'm Nico, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at XNateXGrayX. And we are finally back to continue our investigation into the magic of all things spider-ish. Actually, it's not really the magic of all things spider-ish. It is a carefully hand-selected vintage of spider things from special spider vineyards. Because if you get them outside of the spider district of Europe, it's just sparkling asshole. I would think it would be webbed asshole. Ooh, webbed asshole. I like that as well. Oh, man. We are rapidly coming to the close of all this. And, uh, you know, as I have said many times, we're doing it in very much this like we have found a natural stopping point for our coverage. But this is an ongoing thing, this exploration of the spider totems and what makes a spider person. We we really have come to the end of what we can cover in large chunks. Now what we're seeing is monthly, weekly releases with a little bit of new stuff here and there. But it's going to take a while to really see what the next big changes and the next big direction for the spider verses and i have to assume that the next big direction from the spider verse is not some clear thing by that i mean we're really staring down the complicated narrative of trying to allow multiple people to for lack of a better term as i've been sort of using probably unfairly and i do recognize the nature of using this term unfairly referring to everybody is trying to have their neil gaiman moment and And I feel very much like we are in a situation where Marvel is doing their best to give everyone their Neil Gaiman moment. And that's really, it's really cool because what they're trying to do is they're trying to create a culture and, you know, at least to my expectation or understanding, they're trying to create a culture by where the, like kind of the every writer can feel like when they come onto a title, they're able to make their mark. But I feel sometimes like what that's led to is a situation situation where you have so many conflicting narratives and sometimes not in an insulting way you just have people who won't fucking leave and i'm not saying like dan slot get off the book nobody wants you i'm maybe a little more thinking it's like dan slot first came on to the series just after one more day with brand new day it's so funny when people are like i have a problem with how jason aaron is using mephisto okay at least he's not brokering marriages anymore like some sort of Vegas strip quickie elope chapel. Okay, fuck that. But what I'm getting to is Dan Slott first blast into Amazing Spider-Man in a big way with February 2008's Amazing Spider-Man 546, which was the begin of the Spidey Brain Trust, which featured Bob Gale, who is best known for Back to the Future, but also inclusive work on Daredevil in Daredevil 20 to 25 from Volume 
volume two. It's the Jester arc that falls between the two Bendis arcs, right? It also included notable current Amazing Spider-Man writer Zeb Wells, as well as Mark Guggenheim. So a lot of the fact that you've got Zeb Wells doing his Spider-Man narrative now in Amazing Spider-Man, and you've still got Dan Slott doing multiversal Spider-Man shit. Edge of, I'm my brain. But I feel what you're saying about the, you know, people getting to have their Neil Gaiman moment. And I think one of the tough things, too, is longstanding writers who have been there for a long time and have had their them moment. You know, it doesn't even need to be a Neil Gaiman moment. These people are so famous and well-known in the community that their moments are kind of named after them. But they're still sticking around and trying to have another big thing. On the one hand, I absolutely get that. These are not, you know, retirement age people who need to quit the game. But it does feel like it is very difficult to let big promising properties and ideas uh, trickle down to the next generation and, and, and filter down in ways that I think feel natural. And, you know, for a company that is there to make money, I understand that like you want to kind of stick with what you know and what has been a proven success. But I also think we've seen that part of proven success is taking risks. The success is in your audience seeing you take a risk. And even if it's not necessarily the thing that they want to go with forever, they appreciate like, oh, I know that we're going to shake things up every now and then. It's not that it never happens, but I think there's a lot of safety lately and a lot of people who have made their mark, who are associated with certain characters in a way where we say like this run changed the game nothing was ever the same for this character after this is the inspiration for the movie or the show or however popular culture sees this person and those same people who established those things you know 10 20 30 years ago are still around trying to make those same big swings at other really famous popular characters it's not the worst thing that's ever happened but there are times where it feels just a little bit like i'm really ready for for that fresh new take. And you can do the fresh new take in ways that aren't perhaps disinviting of other ideas. We try and look to different points in continuity as probably X continuity. You know, when you take a look at comic sales, it's all done by Batman because of course it is. And I think because X-Men represents like the best selling line many times, you can sort of look to X-Men as an example of where sometimes Sometimes there's synergy, sometimes there's not. And something TK and I have been talking about when, you know, we, we visit each other a lot despite, you know, a couple hundred miles apart. And so we're always looking at each other's omnibus shelves, right? And I've been noticing what books he has that I don't, what books I have that he doesn't, etc. And you can see how synergistic the lines are by how that era is packaged, right? So when you take a look at the Uncanny X-Men omnibus line, you know, one and two is pretty much just Uncanny X-Men for the most part, you know, the New Mutants come in a little bit later on and there's a lot of interplay between that first New Mutants omnibus and like the third and fourth Uncanny omnibus. There's a lot of shared material, some miniseries that appear back and forth and then all of a sudden, right after what will represent Uncanny Omnibus 5 when it comes out in 2023 is this massive shift to the X-Men crossover name and it includes the relevant issues of Uncanny, of X-Factor, of New Mutants, sometimes Excalibur, the relevant miniseries, the tie-ins and things like Amazing Spider-Man, Avengers, Fantastic Four. And you wind up where the the picture of the line is sort of like trying to breathe in a massive triptych where each panel represents, you know, each pane represents
represents a valid window into this world. But when you step back and you appreciate the triptych in its immensity, in its you know full artistic glory, it really begins to become transformative. And that's why the omnibus editions for Mutant Massacre, Fall of the Mutants, Inferno Prologue, Inferno, these are beautiful and they sit on a shelf with like dignity almost the way they represent that moment. It's not just the X-Books. I don't know that you can ever say that about the last 10 years of Spider-Man because there have been so many people trying to craft legitimate, powerful, successful narratives all counterintuitively against one another. Yeah, I think it really is that it is not synergistic. It gets to the point of they are kind of fighting each other. When you absorb this stuff from the kind of wide angle bird's eye view lens that we are, you really do see that it is a lot of talented people telling great stories, but they are not weaving together very clearly. And I think, you know, part of that is that it's one dude. Even if you pull in all the people in his orbit and really try and involve them, at some point you are going to have to put pen to paper with your conception of Peter and what he's doing in that moment that is just not going to jive with what somebody else is doing. And it gets to be very much that Wolverine, well, he can't be two places in once doing two totally different things, having two totally different opinions, right? And, you know, when we talk about the X-Men, it's very easy to have 10 different people touching something with an X on it and not super getting in each other's way and often working together really synergistically in a way that says, well, you know, because this thing happened, this other team of X-Men had to go do this. And it is a lot tougher with Spider-Man. I don't think anybody is, is failing on the job, but I do think it is something that really, when you take a step back and try and look at Nira and ask yourself, okay, what do we have here? One of the things I think we have is just like, there is not a cohesive understanding of who this person is and what his corner of the world means. You know, what you just said, it rested so much on Peter, on Peter. And I'm thinking about how, you know, your thesis here that you kind of can't avoid including Peter in a good Spider-Man story. Wow, there isn't an X-Man you need to include or is unavoidable in a good mutant story, right? But it's really hard to tell a spider story without Peter. And that's because the X in X-Men is ostensibly named for Xavier. I understand. It stands for a million other things in canon. But what it stood for is that Stan Lee was so bad at remembering names that that is why there is so much alliteration. What it stands for is Stan Lee was a master of advertising to a market that no one else even took seriously and created an empire based on clever names and easy to remember monikers. So yes, even if X stands for the X gene and it does not stand for Xavier's men, it really does stand for the house Xavier built. And the fact that Xavier was not often in the battle and that it was Cyclops or Jean, who's memorable as the girl or Angel, who's memorable for having the wings or Iceman, who's memorable for looking like a snow cone. Whatever you want to say it is, he was not the face of the X-Men. And then you could say it's Wolverine. You could easily make an argument that it's Storm. You could make an argument for characters like Kate and Banshee. Uh, Banshee. I have no idea why I said Banshee when who I meant to say was Colossus. <laughs> but fine. Banshee. I don't know. Maybe I'm just that excited. Excited. I quit. I'm that excited about the spirit of variance. Spider book. Fuck. I'm done. Okay. You know, honestly, though, like it's a total slip, obviously. But like, yeah, Banshee right now as the spirit of variance. You could make the argument if you walked on into the X office and pitched a book, you could really make the argument that like.
like the heart of the X universe is the spirit of variance for whatever reason. And you could tell that story. And I don't think anybody would immediately go, okay, but where's Gene? Because there's no benefit in a lot of these situations to reverting back to an unnecessary status quo. And I only say unnecessary because the value of what a fully open to the idea of expression Marvel Universe offers us as readers is a chance to not just see ourselves in the characters, which is deeply important. I want to be so clear that I, as a, you know, as a Latin man who is queer, who is, you know, me at all. I love seeing, you know, Robbie Reyes represent me. I love seeing Beto represent me. I, you know, love seeing these characters who tie into core elements of my personality, even though they're also different in a lot of ways. But those differences are also a huge part of what motivates me to read comics anymore. I know what it's like to be Nico, and it's amazing to get to see it reflected in fiction. But every chance I get to see and experience what makes comics feel safe for someone else as well, that I get to be part of supporting somebody else seeing themselves and feeling safe. That's really important. And for as much as I'm Latin, I am a very, very white Latin. And that is okay. That's fine. But that does mean that I relate maybe a little bit more to the cultural perception of a guy like Peter Parker. And I have a lot of opportunities to read guys like Peter Parker. So when I get to read these other spiders and things like Edge of Spider-Verse, it is for me what would draw me to Spider-Man because I read plenty of me. And, you know, I think that that is inevitably a a thing that's going to come up with Peter is that, like, he can't really ever represent a viewpoint that isn't very well represented. And that's not a bad thing. That's OK. Um, but it does mean that we seek out other spider people. And we're at this point now where we have established that others can exist and they can carry stories and they can carry books. Uh, we just have to start kind of asking some tough questions and making some tough decisions about what that is going to mean for spider titles going forward. And I feel like where we are now in the stories that we're looking at today and where things are in current publishing of spider books, it's like one toe in the water, one foot in the water, maybe even, but there really is still that like that one foot that is in the pool of it's always got to be all Peter all the time. And I just like we got to get the body coordinated on where we're going. Well, and it's the magic of being able to tell a story that explores a vacuum. You know, it's that notion that Astonishing X-Men is actually all about Jean, even though she's never in it, because it's about the vacuum that's left in the fall of Here Comes Tomorrow and Planet X and the way Emma feels like trying to fill Xavier's shoes and Jean's shoes, even though she is Emma Frost and she's not here to fill anybody else's shoes, is a complicated thing. Even when Peter isn't in the story, there's almost no spider stories that aren't reflective of Peter in some way or great power comes great responsibility or some part of the imagery that Peter Parker is responsible for. And so even though the first few issues featured Spider Laird, Aranya, T-Rex Spider-Man, Spider-Man Noir, Ghost Spider, Spider UK, and Mini Spider, we never really got away from Peter. The only time we got away from Peter was Shathra and I'm still very wary of where this is going. I don't understand how there is still more to mine out of the JMS run. I'm not sure either, but they just published issue four of a 12-issue Spider-Man series in which she is the big bad, and they appear to think that there is a lot 
lot more to mine out of that. And, you know, we did touch on it a little bit last episode when we were kind of talking about the mixed pantheon company that you kind of see in that one Spider-Verse story where you do see Shathra and the young child spider god and like there's stuff there's definitely stuff like i can buy it i am reserving judgment even though it doesn't feel right now like it's the most natural stuff that's happening on page right now i could see how we can get there whether or not that can pan out into anything we'll, we'll find out you know before the end of next year sorry before the end of this year because we are now in 2023 officially but i still am like looking looking across the way at miss mayday parker and so many other characters that i'm like shathra or no shathra i still want to know what's going on with these people and I want to follow them. Well, until we shuff the monkey, uh, we're going to be taking a look at Edge of Spider-Verse 3. I don't even get a boo. <laughs> I, I chuckled. I chortled a little. Uh, you know, I probably wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have laughed for someone else at that joke. Probably would have. Yeah, probably would have booed. So speaking of not boos, I genuinely love all three character leads and all three stories in Edge of Spider-Verse number three. Spider-Man India, you continue to own my heart. What a charming character. Uh, big fan. The Night Spider story fucked me so good. I really love her. Uh, and then obviously we literally rewrote the laws of the show to cover Sakura Spider. <laughs> we were like, we know we only cover spider related things, but we're going to cover a Deadpool manga real quick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, the Spider India starting off this issue with Spider India was for me a really strong moment for the series because this is one of the big multiversal spider web warrior like in it with the team spider people and and it's him traveling the multiverse, fighting variations of spider villains and just like being a a much more present and totemic spider person. And that's what I want for a lot of the other spider people that we got. I'm, I'm thinking about him. I'm thinking about Mayday. I'm thinking about I mean, like, I really don't like Peter Porker, but like, man, they really put him in a lot. So it's justifiable. The person who's really getting the, the treatment that I want for all of these people spider gwen so you know i don't worry about her as much but like i like this idea that spider india is like living it the way you said traveling i now desperately need dua lipa and megan the stallion to do a cover of bedtime story for into the spider verse i actually think that would be a phenomenal fucking collaboration traveling traveling let's get unconscious uh, um, i yeah i completely agree with everything you said giving a spider-man india in such a like clear strong way Written by Nikesh Shukla, who is an Indian writer, with art by so many standards, like Mark Bagley, David Baldon, Paco Medina, Gerardo Sandoval, and then including some names that maybe everybody doesn't recognize, like Abhishek Malsuni, Andrew Crossley, and then Marvel mainstays like Israel Silva, Eric Arseniega. I really felt like they pulled together a story that helped me remember that Spider-Man India may not be getting the page time he deserves, but he is a good character yeah he's a great character he's got a lot of viability i hope it doesn't all come down to demographics and markets for him but if he is somebody that can get particularly indian audiences into the spider-verse i'm okay using him that way i just you know i would enjoy those stories too so i don't ever want to want it to be the type of thing where like he has to be kind of limited in distribution because it's not worth it to publish over here but you know the, the cameos are okay and i'm 
I'm also a really big fan of like kind of standing back and saying, here's the thing. I don't have the time or the budget to produce the thing that I really want to produce, which is I would like to produce, you know, a full issue of why is my hero the coolest hero ever and have it play out over, you know, 48 pages. I don't have that. I'm going to do five pinups, each one kind of telling a day of the character, speed me through the narrative. But the problem there is I really didn't love feeling shortchanged. Like I've done it with Kid Riot, my my indie book. I've done it a couple of times in Kid Riot because I've needed to. But like Marvel should have put the money out for this book. Any character would really deserve it if they are representing a minority spider voice. But I kind of feel like Spider-Man India has been used like a workhorse to facilitate stories. And because his character is so warm, he automatically engenders positivity. But then he deserves stories. He's not just a convenient plot point. And I love this story, but it reminds me why I want so much more for Pavater. Yeah, I sort of look at characters like Spider-UK, who I think is right now in this moment getting the treatment that I consistently want for Spider characters who particularly can represent other ethnicities, other skin colors, other uh, nationalities, other heritages in a way that doesn't feel like lip service or, you know, again, I use the word demographics, but like gesturing at demographics rather than just, you know, accepting if we can have multiversal spider people, we can have multicultural on this one planet spider people. We can have jet setting spider people. This can be a thing that happens in multiple locations, not just in Manhattan with the white kid. So, you know, I would love to see a sort of consistent philosophy about where the spider brand touches other locations, other heritages and other identities. I really, really appreciate that take on it. That is really why the Spider-Verse works as a branding, because these are stories that are necessary. And now, uh, I don't know, but <laughs> Night Spider can top me anytime she wants. I don't even care. Oh, she man. is fucking Black Cat Felicia Hardy Spider-Woman facing off with Jean DeWolf. <laughs> Anything she wants, anytime she wants. She does, I'll be furniture for her. Does she want to eat sushi on my back? I'll be a pretty sushi boy. She is fantastic. She's really one that you buy just like in the same way that you buy Spider-Gwen. Like, oh, just a slip of the uh, circumstances and this really important person in Peter's life is the spider person instead of Peter. And it's funny for her because it's not like she was on the field trip and she got bit instead. It is a totally different story in, involving a magical spider idol that she's trying to steal. Whatever. It's still really fun, really cool. She feels like another one that could really go far. <sighs> but man, it's just like, no, don't give me another cool woman spider person because then there's just no way that you're going to fit Mayday in when you have these other badasses. And that is not my my feeling of like, oh no, it's too many. We can't do it. That is my feeling of like, I've seen it happen too many times. I would be happy to see Spider-Gwen, Night Spider, and Mayday, and Little Annie all in a book together, equal page time doing the thing. What if we get it up to six? 
we call it the Sisterhood Six, and they each get a symbiote, and they only work in certain realities, so each world they go to, different ones of them have symbiotes. I mean, this is a phenomenal pitch. I would take yeah, I would take anything like this, honestly. I would but, take any part of it. Yeah. Just, just, Spider-women in one book would be amazing. I, I just feel my reservation and consternation is just that it feels like we can't ever have multiple really strong spotlights on multiple multiple really strong spider women. It kind of feels like we are allowed one Diana Ross and everybody else really is treated like the Supremes. One Beyonce, you know, Mayday is basically Latavia at this point. There's this memory I have of that clip of Diana Ross pushing Mary Wells off the stage. (laughs) (laughs) It's just Peter doing it by accident because his boobs are so big. He can't help it. Um, Speaking of girl can't help it, Aranya showing up at the end of this story actually means that the key players in this whole story are three women. It's Jean, Felicia, and Aranya. Yeah, and the dudes are kind of (laughs) all, as you so aptly put it, sushi boys. They're just sushi boys. Um, They're really just kind of furniture, and it's great. It really just is a story that happens to focus on a bunch of women, and the men being kind of furniture is not like any kind of like, hey, let's let's do a thing. It's more just like it, it tells the story so efficiently and so quickly that there just happens to not be a lot of opportunity and room to put men in stories. That really can be okay. It has happened to so many women throughout time and nobody was ever allowed to be the least bit like questioning of it that in this case, I think it absolutely totally works. But I also see in what you said, what I went really long with it, like you really can put a bunch of spider women at the epicenter. And as there are a lot of women that are really important to the mechanics of what is happening right now. Given that we got to get more time and more page time and more emphasis on these characters and how they work together. And anybody who says a bad word about Sakura Spider gets slapped on the hand with my (laughs) magical fan. I will just come up to you and I will slap you on the hand with my fan. You think I'm saying I'm going to tap you on the hand with a drag fan, like some sort of cool queer who knows how to use those things. I don't. I'm going to hit you on the hand with a ceiling. Do not insult Sakura Spider. She's too good for this world and we don't deserve her. No, we love her so much. We basically covered this in extended detail, but this is a gorgeous story. Gorgeous artwork here. This is a character with so much identity in so little time. And it's a really like complex, you know, like she is a a kind of state sponsored superhero with a real sense of responsibility and duty and like an action plan. But she's also very human and vulnerable and not perfect. She also just has a real really uncommon body type for superhero comics in a way that I could not appreciate more. Everything about her is fantastic. Finally. Okay, so she is the best. We love her. We've talked a lot about her, but you know who we haven't talked a lot about? Who has the best body shape in superhero comics? Who's that? There is no Spider-Man on Earth I am more attracted to than the star of the first story of Edge of Spider-Verse number four. Pete Spider-Man is the most attractive Spider-Person of all time. I am not being funny. I am not being silly this guy is serving me guy next door daddy realness i love him in his stupid khaki cargo shorts and his cute little tummy sticking out in that very tight polo shirt i love that he thinks he's cool but he's not i love that his hair is described not as a color but as thinning i like that he wants you to know he's taller with his crocs on i 
I just find him very, very attractive. We have been over this in previous issues. This is 100% Nico's type. So if you are listening and you identify with Pete Spider-Man in any way, maybe send us an email or a letter. You could have a really fun date on your hands. I will supply the polo shirt. This is truly a fantastic character. This is like where the the theming and the silliness has a has a chance to spread its wings in a good fun way. His villains are Green Lawn Goblin, Craven the Home Flipper, Mr. Negative Review, Mall Stereo, and the Hob Gossiper. I love this character. The fact that this is where Spider-Ham gets wasped. All right. You know, I'd have to care about Spider-Ham. Yeah. And I don't think that I do. The fact that we wasp Spider-Ham here kind of fucking kills it all. But I really love the idea of Spider-Ham as like the go-between between the serious multiversal spider stuff and the like silly, but it could come in at the end when they all show up to do final battle spider people. I like Spider-Ham over here a lot more than I like him on Web Wars. Oh, absolutely. I really appreciate that take on it because it's not that Spider-Ham is even a bad character, but I don't feel that he carries a narrative with the same level of authenticity. Because he's a joke character, you're always kind of asking me to accept the bit. And when it's the only bit, it feels like it's disruptive. But here, Pete Spider-Man CPA, with the proportional strength of a slightly out of shape middle-aged spider, he's the right thing because he's the same thing as Spider-Ham. But where Spider-Ham is visually ridiculous, but actually pretty, if you think about it, everything is named after who he is. It's constant bits about the type of animal. Like, it's it's actually really in line with Spider-Man. The trappings of Spider-Ham are silly, but Spider-Ham himself is actually very ingrained in the universe's function. Whereas Pete Spider-Man CPA looks very on point, but is actually very silly because of the contrast of his mundanity with the super reality he lives in. And, you know, those are always great characters to have show up and be like, we are pitching in two to save the universe. But I, I don't know how much I like seeing them in longer stories that are mostly supposed to be serious. And I say that a lot more about Spider-Ham than Pete Spider-Man. Who knows? But this was a moment where I was like, if we shifted Spider-Ham over here and saw him a little less in the serious big epic stories, but he was the one who brought in all these types like uh, Spider-Ma'am as well would be on that list. The Spider-Car that has been showing up. Yeah. Anyway, this is a good little story because it, it fires on the right cylinders. But I really do want to get to the next one because, yeah, this was so you and I'm ready just to hear you go off. Actually, I don't have a whole lot to go off on it. I just want to say it was nicely done. And I want to give real compliments to the creative Luciano Vecchio, who is a marvelously talented artist used so excellently and seeing Brian Reber really stretch his fingers and use some color palette choices that are maybe bolder than you would expect. It's really nicely done. The design is beautiful. It's a really good little story. It's something that I wish could be expanded into a novel and or like a, a, like a picture novel, like maybe not like a comic per se, something a little bit more young ages scholastic -y feeling because this idea of hybridizing art, the Disney princess superhero line where you take Marvel and Disney ideas and you fuse them into these infinity warps, you know, as it kind of is. There's some there's some real legs here. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I just so appreciated the nods to Spinstress looks like every Disney princess like ideal that you would ever want in a really positive way, like not in a generic way, but in like a, they really took the most beautiful 
little parts of every every Disney princess, including that like she starts the story in kind of street garb. And she's a woman of color. She's a woman of color. She's singing. And but then, you know, she gets a really gorgeous uh, princess outfit that is also a spider outfit and costume. There's some. She meets my dream bottom on page two. <laughs> the redheaded prince. Oh, no, I'm talking about the bald guy. The bald guy on page two. Oh, oh right. That, yes. Yeah. Yeah. With the mustache. Yeah. Looks like a bulldog. <laughs> He's, he is a very handsome man. The Bishop Octopus, which like, you know, you get a little bit of Ursula. You get a little bit of Doc Ock. The Goblin Maleficent. It's just it's all really on point. When you pitch the concept of like kind of infinity warpsing Disney princesses and superheroes, that sounds like such an ugly cash grab idea. And I love that they introduced it through this story without really saying anything without ever identifying Disney because it is actually a lovely idea and it's really great and it creates this phenomenal character and you know what if they fucking merchandise it and make a bunch of money off of it so much the better but this is a real beautiful piece of art regardless of how profitable it is I think it's really really cool the character is going on to have quite a lot of movement in the dance lot Spider-Man so I think she she is one that is really here to stay and this was just a fantastic introduction I very much agree other than a couple of cute jokes from Peter Parked Car and the Spectacular Spider-Mobile I just don't have a lot to say it's okay it's silly it's fine I love Spider-UK showing up it's just not a story I needed yeah really didn't need it it's fucking car it's car's universe I don't yeah the less said the better now it's of note that I'm really glad that we caught that Spider-Verse arc that we missed if for no other reason we wouldn't have really understood Sun Spider and everything Sun Spider represents Sun Spider while created as a fan concept by Dana Broder not written by Dana Broder here I you know don't want to go on to say anything because like maybe Dana did not feel they were a you know up to writing a comic and didn't want to do their character a disservice maybe it's just not in the cards for Marvel talent to hire a fan I don't know but seeing Sun Spider get a really fun issue really she's never treated like she's less and that's the main thing as somebody who does have an invisible disability I too would like to see every human being with feelings and be treated with the respect they deserve and not as an afterthought yeah uh, I don't there's so much to say here that I personally am not equipped to say this is the thing that I really do love I feel sorry for people that can't enjoy these things one of my favorite series this year was Miss Marvel one of my favorite TV series this year was Miss Marvel because I it was a look into a family that looked nothing like mine and the experience was so unlike mine not just for cultural reasons but because I went to high school 20 plus years ago um, it was really enjoyable to see somebody else's experience and see somebody else nothing like me as a superhero and people who can't enjoy that I do feel really sorry for them or people who feel the need to poke holes and say like oh but if you have a disability why would you be a superhero you're fucking stupid if you can't figure that out this is characters like these are really enriching and enjoyable for me as a reader because this is just not my experience at all and it shows me a window into another world in a way that I find really enjoyable I don't feel that I have all of the tools to evaluate everything that happens on page but 
but in terms of just, you know, quality of storytelling, quality of idea, this this checks all the boxes for me. You know when something should check all the boxes for you, but it doesn't? Oh, sure. That is my relationship with all things Craven. Like, I should find him cool. He's a hunter who's evolved himself to be more powerful. I should find the design very hot, and I often do. But I don't love Craven as a rule. Doesn't really do anything for me. And that the Craven story that leads off Edge of Spider Verse Five is Hunter Spider. All right, he does look pretty hot in the little Spidey brief look with the the little strap of red webbing. Right, really cute. I like the clever redesign of his leopard thing as a spider. That's really cool that the eyes are where they'd go. And I'm just going to give it up for a really classic creative team while Dan Slott provided the plot. J.M. DeMattius uh, provided the script and Bob McCloud, that's the guy who did the New Mutants graphic novel in 1984 did the art on this. That's fucking awesome. So cool. I think Craven is getting overpowered because Sony said we're going to make a movie and so that they're doing, but I, he can eat the wasps. Come on. Overpowered, overexposed. You know, I know if he was overexposed, I'd be really. Well, you know, there's, there's many kinds of overexposure and there's some that I would be prepared for. It appears maybe that he's going to be involved in Dark Web, although we're halfway through and we haven't gotten that yet. So now I'm not really clear, but there's a whole thing where there's like a lot of Craven clones in main continuity. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think they're just trying to keep his wind and his sails through whenever this movie thing happens. And this is a perfectly fine character. They really uh, are banking on him for the Spider-Man run. He's he's very present there as well. Um, I uh, I don't know. I mean, this is not one that's high priority for me in the like, you know, grab that spider, retain some of these characters when this is all said and done. But perfectly fine character. You're right. Really great creative team. If this character resonates with somebody and they want to do the work and write them, I could see great stories coming from him. He's just not really high on my priority list. Now, I actually feel very similarly about Webweaver that this is a character that I could see great stories from. My problem with this first story for Webweaver has nothing to do with the story. We haven't really had like that queer Spider-Man yet. So taking the time to do a that queer Spider-Man story is necessary. And when you do the first of a story, and we've talked about this a lot because we've covered so many characters either first appearance or first significant appearance first reappearance whatever the fuck it is and web weaver here gives me everything i feel that minorities who have long said i can do that story better like myself included like as a queer person where i'm like i'm so tired of fucking straight romances let a gay person do it let a queer person do it we'll do it different we'll do it better and you know actually sometimes different is just different there's nothing to this story that really redefines the spider-man experience, but it creates the Spider-Man experience for an audience who's never gotten to celebrate the Spider-Man experience for themselves in the first person. With that in mind, I'm charmed by this story and excited for the potential future of what this really lovely queer character could bring. This is like, um, this is kind of almost the opposite of the Sun Spider story where I have like almost too much that I could say about this and I kind of don't want to get into all of it. I'm very happy that this character exists. I'm rooting for them. I do think going with Cooper Cohen rather than another Peter Parker is a smidge of a cop out insofar as like if we're multiversal it's plausible that there's a universe where Spider-Man is not strictly heterosexual given that my read of Peter Parker in the main universe is that he is bisexual but setting that aside on the one hand I feel like good to make it a totally different character because that way they can show up and be the gay spider person kind of bad because it really does say there's like a, a tinge of it that is like do not let the name Peter Parker be associated with men who have sex with men I 
could go back and forth on this forever. He's a beautiful character. Absolutely love the design of the costume. Very sissy, very beautiful. The fact that there is a silk in the mix as a romantic love interest. Really cool. This is one that has a lot of possibility. We are also like minimum 10 years late with this one. Almost more like 20. I would love to be seeing at this point it be relatively normal to see a queer spider person and beyond to like non-binary spider people at this point and like really putting the focus and the attention on the members of our community who are really still unseen and unloved and treated really terribly and i know how and why we cannot have those things when we ought to but uh this is this is a great character that i feel like we probably ought to have had already i agree and i think it's worth exploring not just other forms of expression but other forms of storytelling and not to diminish other forms of expression obviously i want every form of representation we can have i also enjoy seeing the medium tested with some of these stories silly spider by pt parker is just deranged and i love it it's a really good time is it gonna change the way i read spider-man no but it is really valuable to see a different perspective on the perhaps marvel standard meta commentary format this character just left off the page he was just done being drawn shitty and he meets up with a number of the movas and shakas behind everything going on and i appreciate what we're trying to do with so much of the storytelling with this character the idea of re-exploring the definition of meta context for a uh, series that has done the format to kind of death already there's value in that and i'm really glad to see it here that said this is a really really weird final story and frankly kind of an unfulfilling final issue i think i would have really preferred three or four to be the final issue compared to five which has three stories that while three of the best stories don't represent the breadth depth and width of the spider-verse three-dimensional angle machine that i've come to expect from spider-verse based titles yeah i might have appreciated one of the other ones had ended it if we had swapped positions of the stories throughout the entire five if we had done one more issue maybe kind of wrapping up that aranya julia carpenter and spider uk had sort of been on this and it was other people too but that all the like old hat spider multiversal travel people had kind of been gathering this group and okay now what there were a lot of ways to end this but a sort of that's all folks spiders way of doing it while it might have made like a cute post credit sequence if you really felt like you had to do that there is a degree to which you've got to i have to believe that people know that this medium doesn't play out the same way that movies and tv do and ending on a joke like this just doesn't hit the same way that it's going to in movies or in tv and i just would have rather had the strong note be this is just the beginning get into spider-man that sort of directionlessness and lack of security about what this whole thing is supposed to be unfortunately travels into the actual spider-man series so if nothing else it kind of does give you a good indication of what's to come on the whole i would give this five issue spider-verse series which is edge of spider-verse technically 
technically, so it's the second volume of Edge of Spider-Verse. You know, saying that it's a Spider-Verse thing is kind of unfair, but I thought Spider-Verse Volume 3 was essentially an Edge of the Spider-Verse kind of book. So it gets difficult to try and figure out because then each Spider-Verse event has a couple of issues like this. So just, it's hard to compare them anymore, but I would say, understanding that what doesn't work here doesn't work here, I'm comfortable giving this volume like a, a B and no qualifications, no asterisks. It's a B. I mean, for me, it's like B minus C plus with a ton of asterisks. Some of these stories are really A stories and fantastic. Some of them are really bad. The curation really doesn't work for me. The potential is out of this world, you know, more than I think it really has been since the original Edge of Spider-Verse. We probably really have to retire that name and we've got to stop doing this compilation series. Let us show you how we have taken concept added spider and created a character it is just a beautiful mess hodgepodge and um some real high points but there are some real messes too So now we leave the world of physical books behind and return to the infinite space of Marvel Unlimited as we take a look at Spider-Verse Infinite Comics, sorry, Spider-Verse Infinity Comics, this, I'm never going to get it right, 15 through 20, which is, I think, vaguely a Miles story, but it's also really kind of a Kamala Khan story. The run is written by Jason Holtman with art by Nathan Stock. Pete Pantazis and VCs Clayton Cowles. It's probably not my favorite arc through no fault of the books. It's a great arc of maybe not a, a spider person infinity comic, maybe of a team up comic. It would be a really perfect arc. Yeah, if you were telling me that this is supposed to represent because like I even understand how Kamala really does represent everything spider. Like Kamala is a spider character. I know she's not, but the, the the hallmarks of what make a good spider character are also very true of Kamala Khan. And in that regard, I think she's a great fit, especially having history with Miles from their time as champions together. There's a lot of good to mine here. I like the continuation of a number of the threads of the Miles story that we've been getting earlier, especially, you know, because it can feel a little bit like in an anthology book like this, you're always hoping that the artist that, you know, got to do eight, you you know, eight issues will get to do something that follows up those eight issues so they weren't like vaguely in a vacuum. But I don't know. It, it just felt like this was a lot of setup. And that's kind of a result of consistent and meteorized storytelling. And I understand, you know, we all love that sort of, you know, reservoir dogs, how did we get here? But because so many of the beats felt perhaps rote or believable, there was a lack of, I, I, I hate to say it, but a lack of thrill for me. I just felt like I was checking off perhaps the rote steps of what goes into a college age hero team up. And again, like we were saying earlier with Web Weaver, every group is entitled to that story. But I've actually kind of had this sort of team up, this energy. It felt a little predictable for the possibility of an Infinity comic. And that is my real qualm here. This could have been a 22 page issue of something called Spider 
Spider-Verse team-up where it's a monthly book. Each issue is a spider character and another person. And it also could have been an issue of a book called Miles Morales. It almost vaguely could have been an issue of a book called Kamala Khan. It could have been an issue of Champions. Nothing made this the continuing adventures of the evolving perspective of a single character in Spider-Verse. It just felt safe. Yeah, and it didn't even feel like the evolving mixed perspective of the central people of Spider-Verse, who, again, the thesis of this particular series seems to be that is Gwen, Peter, and Miles. This was also, to me, an opportunity to do something that comics just don't do enough, which is really solidly push the dial forward and say, Miles and Kamala are college age now. They are starting college. They meet each other there, and they are going to be college-age superheroes who are having that Buffy season four experience of trying to juggle independence and adulthood for the first time along with their their superhero duties. It's really like still they're like I think not in college like this was just a a program that they were on a college campus and visiting which just is a little bit too niche of a situation for to apply to these kids in a way that's like oh imagine if they were in college but they're not yet because we don't want to like we don't want to lose our high school age heroes it's just like this could have done a lot of things it could have done any of the stuff that Nico described it also could have been a point to set up the idea that we have shifted generations a little bit and you will see a new group of high school age kids but the high school age kids that we've had for over a decade now are something else and those are good changes to make and I think some of it comes from a generation that believed that in order for something to succeed it had to be tried and tested you simply could not be some new thing just starting out and trying to show off and I think with that as a result you kind of wind up in a tricky situation where back when the guys currently running Marvel started the belief was keep your heroes where they've been because those people those those readers now will have kids and they'll get their kids hooked on the books because accessibility was different but now kids find their own thing on their own and they don't need anybody to tell them what's good and they'll decide what's good and we see that with the things that remain popular and the things that get kind of forgotten and left to the past we see that transformation and so once upon a time there was a belief that if spider-man advances it's a problem but like you know for example we you know contributor jonah right who's you know one of the founders of the show he is vaguely just the right age to have grown up with miles but now he's out aging miles so in some ways miles is going to be a thing of the past for Jonah, who has outgrown this character, who can no longer have experiences that match the evolving experiences of a man, the way Jonah will experience them. And I use that as an example because again, Jonah's part of a generation for whom the contents were available. I grew up with Cyclops and Wolverine and Cannonball and Jubilee. I had trays. So any point I picked up, someone was a kid and and then I'd read it 10 years later and they were still kind of a kid and I'd read it 10 years later and those people were only older because of the kids. But then it created these insane subdivisions where you were sort of like, well, Cyclops is a little bit older. He's got to be like 28. And I guess Wolverine's like 40, but he's not really 40. Banshee's probably like 38. So then Colossus has got to be like 22 and Nightcrawler 21 and maybe Storm is 23. And you get into these situations 
situations where you like these numbers, like what do they mean? Instead of embracing the idea that there's a graceful fluidity to age, not everybody ages exactly the same. And let's just say that with superhero comics, maybe people can age out of sequence. Perhaps somebody who is immortal and nigh invulnerable when blasting like Cannonball and Beto, who um literally turns Vanta black. Maybe they age at a different rate because of the energy properties that their bodies hold and somebody like banshee for some reason gets to age backward because if you look at banshee when he first appeared he kind of looked like a mop wearing a shoe yes and now he looks like an underwear model whose head catches on fire i was gonna say now he's just a a skull head on fire but like gen x days shit got insane i agree with everything you're saying i feel like there really has been laid such good groundwork and such room made for you know x x generations really give you the best example in terms of like and and we've talked about this on the show before like cyclops should probably be in his 40s by now if you really can't accept that for whatever reason of like viability of property whatever you can get a little nebulous with it but that there is this age ceiling that everybody crams up against and can't break through is a weird thing you know that the new mutants kids really have been shown to be significantly older not significantly but at least four years if not almost 10 years older than the gen x kids you know that those kids fully had become graduates of high school before the academy x kids showed up that the academy x kids had lived a whole life and were appearing in books where they were looking like hot 20 somethings and then fucking anol was just in new mutants where he really appears to be like a child like a kid just trying to figure out how he's going to have his bar mitzvah and then he's a bartender at a tiki bar looking like a man in another issue of another book that just came out recently it's just really all over the place and messy and i get that that's part of the thing but there is we do have an ability to kind of set some standards and we can be nebulous about it but we can still say like the original five are fully noticeably significantly older than the new mutants kids and the gen x kids etc and this applies throughout the marvel universe we really need to start sort of start accepting that some of the oldest characters really are older now um and you know some of the oldest comic book fans are still active healthy people who can see themselves in active healthy people who also have a lot of wisdom and experience and in that same way we can go all the way back to some of the high school kids can and should be college kids some of the college kids can and should graduate college and go into adulthood and starting families and we saw peter starting to do this in the 90s so you know the idea that it's time for miles who's been around for a while and kamala who's been around for a while to take those same journeys it is it really is time and this was an opportunity because you know i don't know what spider-verse i don't know what the spider-verse infinity comic is i don't know what it is meant to give me or do for me oh my god we've read 30 issues how don't we understand yet i really wish i could tell you but i can say that like here's one thing that it could do it could bump up some status quo a little bit you know miles goes to his freshman orientation kamala khan is there they are now college age it is as simple as that but you know instead they're just there for a program that has them on campus in dark web kamala khan is a lab intern for norman osborne which does not feel like a job you can have as a high schooler but i guess that's what we're going with they're just nebulous 
roughly some age. And this story then really does nothing but tell us about a time that these two hung out, which we kind of already knew that they did because things like champions exist. And fight the Tinkerer, which is yeah, fine. Sure. But that's it. It's like, oh, and it's Roxon. And it's the Tinkerer. And there's nothing wrong with these elements. It's a lot of end media red storytelling, but we jump forward and backwards so many times that if it weren't for the endearing quality of the characters being written with an authentic voice and that a lot of the art was terrific, I would not give this a strong grade. I'm even then going to give it like a C plus, to be honest, because it just doesn't do anything. But it is certainly not a failed story. It's just when I look at that we just in the same thing, Spider-Verse talked about Penny for a hot minute and it was interesting. When we talked about Spider-Man India, when we talked about Night Spider, when we're seeing progressive stories in some way and we get to this that features two characters who are meant to represent the ability to tell progressive stories as Miles has told some really bold stories in the course of the character and the fact that Kamala exists at all is a bold departure from our expectations of what a superhero is meant to be. I think this just fails the bechamel test. It's just not interesting. But C plus because it's pretty and well voiced. Yeah, I agree with everything. Yeah, I mean like in a vacuum it's a perfectly fine story and that accounts for most of the good grade of it. The fact that like when applied to this book it doesn't really do a single thing that this book as a whole is just continuing to not really tell us what it is or why it exists. Those are the things that are really dragging every story in here down. And the thing that reminds me that they are willing to do the thing is that issues 21 and 22 are unbelievably by Brazilian cartoonist Gustavo Duarte, who is known for some unbelievable work. Now, admittedly, I think he's probably better known for his personal work, but he's done a number of things at Marvel and DC, as well as Dark Horse, uh, his work at Dark Horse is Monsters and other stories, a couple of stories in that collection. He did something in the 100th anniversary. He was part of for Guardians of the Galaxy. He's part of a Bizarro miniseries in 2015 with a number of other one shots. He's a pretty big guy and it is amazing that they had him come in and do this work. Definitely noteworthy. Definitely appreciate them taking the chance. And what works so well specifically for for this Gustavo Duarte comic is the nature of the art is a little bit chibi, but it's a little bit horror. It's a little bit Halloween. It's adorable. I would probably even say it is anything but hyper artistic. Like it's everything but like that painterly, almost uncanny valley style. And it's anything but sexy. Those are like the two things that I feel too often when we get like a Spider-Man one shot story. It's either super super painterly or it's unnecessarily weirdly sexy and this went in the exact opposite direction this is cartoony it's masterful it's lovely it does so much with so few words it shows perspective on character on color this was one of the most charming infinity comics i've ever read yeah i couldn't agree more with all of that and this sort of gives us another direction that this book could definitively go in which is really beautiful self-contained spider-verse story 
stories with identities of their own that don't really have to apply to any kind of larger idea or narrative about these characters. And, you know, th this is what I think the best stories in the book did, which is kind of these two in the Penny Parker story. They're very contained. They're very stylized. They tell you something about a character that can be enriching, but they don't require that you blend it into a wider context. They don't make you feel as though you are missing some degree of relevance. It just kind of it, it paints a picture. And in this case, it really does, because there's no writing. There's no uh, speech bubbles. There's there's no narration. I think that would have been an option for this book really solidly to do that for everybody. And instead, it's it, this is just kind of the best part of the hodgepodge. Yeah. And it's just a charming, easy story. It's lovely. I think for me, the highlight is probably in those first few passages. Panels. I really love the number of heroes and like there's something kind of nebulous about this world where it's, it's obviously not our world and judging by the people that these people are dressed up as I'm not sure what world this is because Spider-Man is a character in this world but also people are dressed up as Thor. Galactus. Galactus is carrying around a planet as his Halloween candy basket, which is brilliant. I think that is some kind of kid Kurt. Like, it actually looks like a demon. And knowing that this is a world where Spider-Man and Spider-Gwen are just running around, like, the possibilities that this AU provides is maybe it just actually is like a cute little magic chibi world, and then there's just people that are forced into an adult role, and that's J. Jonah Jameson, the vampire. And, I don't know, I just thought everything about about this world was adorable it got me thinking in a cute way in a playful way it was lovely and lovely in a different way than 22 was which was surprisingly my favorite spider ham story maybe ever yeah i i fully agree with that these two stories by gustavo duarte really do prove the point of this format as especially with the charm of at midnight i'll save your soul something i've commented on a few times is it often feels like people are always trying to do some sort of take on Neil Gaiman and I feel like you could maybe see some parallels with dead boy detectives here the little dead kid he was a ghost the whole time but you know it's probably not a direct line until you get to the Merv pumpkin head where it feels perhaps a little bit closer to inspired by the dreaming and good that's actually I don't know that the dreaming itself would could be any happier than people believing that the dreaming is real that is really cool. I just thought that really Gustavo Duarte did two of the best unlimited comics I've ever read and it's why this was worth exploring and why we hold such a high standard for when you have six issues that do ostensibly nothing. Yeah, because I think this shows how you can do nothing yet still do something and how that can be done very quickly and still have a really strong impact. That Penny Parker story really was great but I think seven issues was too long really beautiful style, really painted a picture of Penny that we hadn't gotten in a while, you know, allowed you to hang on to the character and hang out with the character for a minute and love her. But uh, it, it did go on a bit long. Either of these particular versions of spider people, whether I don't know if this is like specifically supposed to be spider ham or like kind of another spider ham. Um, but either way, you just had a kind of a really lovely moment. And I I will remember these the most fondly, but I'm not worrying about fitting them into the larger Spider-Verse or anything like that. And they really did what I 
think a lot of people could be doing throughout Infinity books. You know, that even things like the Who Is stories, Who Is Wanda, Who Is Scarlet Witch, Who Is America Chavez, which are great pieces that we've covered before on the show, but like you can do a bit of a Who Is with a story like this that just says like, here is an amazing creator that is going to, through rendering their art, show you who they think a character is. And uh, it doesn't take a lot to to make something impactful. This also compelled me to think in a in a kind of serious way about the nature of how these books have changed. I've covered a number of issues called blah 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 Halloween special, blah 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 holiday special featuring. I've covered a number of titles where we definitely make a thing of the fact that it's a holiday issue, but I noticed this year that instead of having the Spider-Man Halloween Infinity comic like we had 2 years ago, it was two Halloween issues in Spider-Man Spider-Verse. Okay. I noticed that instead of having a Happy Holidays Mr. Howlett style Infinity comic, the big winter holiday special this year was an Avengers Unlimited Infinity comic starring She-Hulk. A year ago, I would have expected that to be the She-Hulk holiday special Infinity comic. And I think maybe what we're seeing is the result of a streamlining of a project where they're cleaning up their loose ends and it's having an effect for certain. Yeah, I I think I can definitely see that. I'm hanging on a lot with theme issues, holiday issues, that that type of stuff. I find myself really wanting to see more and wanting to see what people's concept of these heroes in very specific zones are, but also just sort of not wanting to go overboard into like schlock. Because what winds up happening with holiday specials as we took a break to discuss and we definitely, definitely did. We saw that sometimes when you try and put the holiday spin on a character, it doesn't do very much good at all for the the character. Punisher was not made better for being in a holiday special, and the holidays weren't made more magical for being Punisher. But something we know is that Marvel is going to do these stories anyway, no matter what, because there are characters for whom it works for. I think it's better to... Well, now I don't know, because something we've been talking about a lot lately, just to point to a book that we're going to be discussing again and books that we've discussed recently with The Excellent. The Excellent is a book that I was looking forward to for a really long time as a response to Ecstatics. And when it finally came out, it ran like five or six issues and then they're like, oh, it's going to get a new number one. Okay. It has the exact same name. They did that to Black Cat a number of times. And they've put some interesting Black Cat miniseries in between. So it seems like comics are starting to steer away from the long number. Look at how Shang-Chi ran a number of restarts. You know, I was actually just talking with TK about my frustration with the Shang-Chi situation. In the final issue of Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi, Master of the Ten Rings, released just this week as of recording, the goodbye page sees really lovely goodbye from the creators. And, you know, they're like, thank you so much for letting us tell 24 issues. I did the math. And if you add in a couple of extra stories, it's about 31, 32 issues, but it's Shang-Chi one through five. Well, then it's Shang-Chi, then it's the legend of Shang-Chi, then it's a Shang-Chi Infinity comic, then it's 12 issues of Shang-Chi, but there's two Marvel Voices Shang-Chi identity stories that go in there. It sort of feels like as we're getting closer and closer, all of a sudden it's Shang-Chi one through six and it's a one shot. As Shang-Chi ran, I really started to notice that they weren't trying to build to a big number. They were trying to build to a big story, however they could get it out. And they're using the legacy numbers as a guide, which also tells you to disregard something. 
things, and that is definitely a conversation to talk about, the things that are disregarded by legacy numbers and how that deeply affects it. I don't think you can read a lot of classic Uncanny while skipping the annuals altogether. But here, with the Infinity Comics, it's almost like they're saying the opposite. Streamline those because people don't want to, I don't know, because you're ultimately going to have to click through that many titles on the app. I don't fucking understand anymore. Yeah, I mean, and I think that the the point is that we oftentimes find ourselves kind of unclear about what's happening. Yeah. And, you know, I'm certainly not unhappy with the stories that we're getting being published. Sometimes when I say something is a C plus, it's a C plus for me. But, you know, hopefully there's somebody who really likes it. I think when you're publishing what are maybe a little bit more expected stories in an unexpected format, you're going to find yourself with a few misses. And I think while I give the Gustavo Duarte stories over Overall, an A, maybe even an A+. I want to give it a near-perfect grade. I find myself recognizing what an unusual blip that is for this series. Well, and, you know, I think folding holidays into the mix, and in this case, it's just Halloween, so it's fine. Like, it's not a big deal. It's, you know, not a controversial holiday either, but, like, it does add this other wrinkle of, okay, help me to understand what you're doing, company. Like, are we celebrating this? Is this going to be in continuity, recognize that it's Halloween time? The strange thing in the world to me is that dark web starts at christmas and is really christmasy but there's been so little acknowledgement this year about the holidays from marvel and i maybe it's because like this year i have been doing a little more holiday than i normally do but i found myself wishing that like there was just some tinsel on the title or something i don't even know but it just leaves you kind of unsure i love that there are a lot of christmas issues to choose from like i love that there are so many generation x christmas specials and christmas issues to choose from i love that we have this kind of back catalog to go from and it seems that in recent years it's really been toned down and i get that i you know kind of embracing the secularism of the whole thing and not making everything about christmas a lot of people don't celebrate christmas i actually don't really celebrate christmas but i participate in the holidays in one form or another i would really love to see more hanukkah specials i don't mind the idea of acknowledging that it's holiday time in one form or the other but I do get a cognitive dissonance when it's like, okay, like it is definitely Christmas on the day that Madeline Pryor unleashes hell on New York, but it is not Christmas to Marvel the company because we don't want to offend anybody and we don't want to wade into the Christmas war. And this just feels like kind of an outgrowth of that same thing where it's like, these are definitely Christmas issues, but they're in an infinity book that has no idea what it is or wants to be. And if you want to do Halloween here, feel free to. Well, I would rather take a, you know, quick foray into Halloween over, honestly, what felt like a a book I did not really love. I was not as big a fan of issues 23 to 25, which focus on this sort of weird Peter White Rabbit thing. Now, I'm current on Amazing Spider-Man, and this suit, you know, ties into that era. This three issues, I found it very, very very confusing to read at the time as I was going
going through it, I was like, I am not really sure what story Alexandra Walker, Z Carlos, Eric Arseniega, and Joe Sabino are trying to communicate, but I'm I'm trying to read it. So for the last thing to be, oh yeah, no, this was supposed to be so confusing that even Spider-Man didn't know what was going on. That was not, like, I felt maybe a little bit like my time was wasted. It's just, I don't know. This felt like it was trying to be relevant by tying into the current Amazing Spider-Man run and didn't do it. Yeah, this certainly was not pleading the case of please read the Amazing Spider-Man run, which, you know, is another thing that uh, that Infinity Comics can do, but that kind of needs to be, you know, if this had been uh, Amazing Spider-Man Infinity Comic, the way that, you know, Avengers Forever Infinity Comic is kind of pleading with you to, like, check out Avengers. Like, if you thought this was a cool thing, there's stuff going on in Avengers Forever and, you know, Jason Aaron Avengers that you might find interesting. Like, here's just a little four-shot, four-issue mini that will give you kind of a taste. And if that's what this wanted to be, that's totally fine. But then putting it in Spider-Verse, again, just confused. Don't know what this title overall is trying to be. If it's trying to whet my appetite for Amazing Spider-Man, it's got to be a little clearer about what is going on that this ties in and that I might want to read it. Appreciated the look at, you know, present day Peter, his costume, the gadgets that he uses. He's got a backpack now. Way to go, backpack boy. White Rabbit, not compelling to me, but okay, whatever. I mean, I've I waited through so much Mayday crime people that like adding a rabbit themed crime person to the mix is probably not going to hurt me at this point but I didn't was not especially excited for any of it and really ultimately I just kind of read through it and thought okay and then I kind of went with my gut which was that I didn't really this didn't get me excited about that Spider-Man run and I didn't really feel like reading it so I was going to come into this basically uninformed because nothing compelled me to get informed on the whole I give it a C C minus probably it just didn't do it for me it wasn't like i don't think alexandra walker can't write i don't think z carlos can't draw you know this is not a statement of you all did bad this just wasn't the story for me and i am not super invested in this kind of manic style uh, pushing the book at all times sometimes i do think we need to take a second sit back breathe think about what's going on in the story and i feel like that's not always what we got here it was just a little two mile a minute and not nearly enough payoff. I really did walk away feeling like this better come up again. Yeah, I really hope it does. I can't speak to that at all. I think the grade was about where I was with it. So many of these grades, it has nothing to do with the quality of anything in the story as it is. Those are solid grades. Great story. People are doing great work. I'm not saying I could do any better. I'm saying maybe if, you know, the editorial and publishing were done by committee, I might have said, let's find a place for this where it's really going to shine. And those low grades aren't due to quality of story it's due to mute of shine because of how and where they appear Now, it's hard to believe that with where we started this project, we began with we have the incredible opportunity to examine every word that exists of one Mayday Parker as she's fallen into disrepair and disuse and disdain. And we were treated to a couple hundred more issues worth of reading to understand more Mayday. All right, all right, all right. We could never have known between recordings overnight a couple of months ago, we would find out there would be new Mayday Parker stories 
series. And now recording our first MC2 AU, you know, hybrid episode of the new year, we can talk about the complete recent Mayday Parker arc, of course, stemming out of Earth 982, written by Stephanie Williams, with art by returning artist Nathan Stockman, who I really feel does a way better job with this arc, colors by Pete Pantazis, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. We are here to talk about the VIP experience, Spider-Verse Unlimited Infinity Comics 26 through 29. TK, our girl's back. Our girl came home. This, what a great place to get to after all the work that we have done. I really just couldn't be happier about this. I'm going to lay it all out for you guys right now. All of the problems that I have with this Infinity book as a whole, with the idea of it, with its purposelessness, unfortunately does affect this May Day story. This is a really great story, and we are going to get into that. But right off the bat, just the fact that this book doesn't know what it is or wants to be or what its purpose is makes it difficult for this story to situate itself and to shine. I think immediately my biggest disappointment was the fact that this is not a continuing story, but this is kind of a look at May's life previously, and it has to be previously because Peter Parker is still alive here. That said, if I wanted anybody to go back and fluff up May's backstory and tell us a story from May's backstory that could expand on this character, give her a slightly updated look because it is not Ron Friends or Ron Lim drawing her give her a slightly updated voice because it is a woman of color writing her and writing her best friend Davida. what a joy to see that this is exactly what I would want I would take more of these stories fleshing out May's background in order to make her a more well-rounded character the just slightly sad thing for me is that she still hangs in limbo in terms of like I have now seen how viable she is as like potentially one of the big heroes of Marvel broadly and I'm just worried she's still kind of being shoved into the background but this is the type of story that could really help support her being pushed to the foreground I do also have a number of the same concerns you have and worry that it could make difficult a push to the foreground by the editorial team because Davida right away amazing but then who the fuck is Jason like I was even like maybe I'm not remembering let me search through my notes and I searched through what comes out to 114 pages of notes and there is no reference to a Jason once. He's there, he's just really not super important. I believe you, but the character left such a little impression on me, I even thought to search for him and, you know, it's it's pretty underwhelming that it's, you know, not seeing some closure with a character that we already liked. You know, she had a boyfriend at the end of the run and because the age Benji is ultimately in this story, it would be really difficult for this to be before the essential end of the run and so then the people we get are you know in her kind of like oh god I fought so many people it's a goblin sure but then it's crazy eight and if you know the whole story of crazy eight that's really powerful but then is that fucking dragon man is that fucking dragon man the, the guy from the basement I guess it has to be right <sighs> fine um the lady hawk twins I just want to point out that that means we have met four women in the first issue and three of them 
are amazing women of color. I'm thrilled as, you know, frequently women of color characters were really some of the best and also deeply misrepresented and underrepresented characters of the MC2. And we get kind of that flow that we were always looking for for Mayday where she was not in constant crisis in terms of how to be a person and how to be Spider-Girl. We still didn't really get the like, hey, Davida, you know I'm Spider-Girl. But we got closer to it. And we got both Killer Watt and Mr. Abnormal. Oh, all right. Well, you know, I appreciated that Stephanie Williams was really doing iconic pulls. And I shouldn't even say iconic because it makes it sound good. But like these were the things that like these were the rogues gallery of like you can throw them in an issue and it's believably happening to Spider-Girl. You don't have to explain. I'm not super excited to see them, particularly Killer Wad just kind of sucks, but also like very recognizable and like just another day, Mayday kicking the ass of Killer Wad and throwing them away. Like she used the tools that she had for the shorthand and unfortunately Mayday was not given a great bag of tools when she was left off. But they do attempt to make the best of the tools they have and one of those tools that really stands out to me is the use of Benji and the ways they explore kind of adorable ways to make Benji relevant. He's wearing a J2 shirt which is just good sense but it's also pretty clever and he's got a spider buggy that's also pretty clever. You know they do a lot of work here to draw us in. It's just again the number of new things. This arcade that they want to go to and you know ultimately the bad guy behind it it's just there's so much good that could be mined and i'm so grateful for the bits we got but then like the second issue spends an unusual amount of time explaining to me how arcades work like literally explaining how arcades work like you use this car to trade it for cash oh okay and we just we have so little time with mayday i would have really liked to have seen a little more of it be fun and a little less about facilitating babysitting Benji. Yeah, I mean, I get you. I just like once it wasn't what I wanted it to be entirely, which is like a new Mayday story, I was kind of good letting it just be like it's adventures and babysitting. It's slice from Mayday's past adventure and babysitting. This has to be like right before Peter died because Benji is like six now, which timing does not work at all because May has not aged. Uh, May is still in high school and she was in high school when he was born. But she looks like she's about to be added to the cast of Grey's Anatomy. She really does. She looks like the seventh friend as they are about to move out to the suburbs. So once it wasn't going to do those types of they like reconcile that type of stuff, then, you know, that she just has an adventure in babysitting with Benji is fine. And I enjoyed seeing both she and Benji using their powers, being little thwip idiots, just uh, thwipping around in public like little morons trying to get caught with their thwippy powers the whippy thwippy idiots and uh i'm i'm only selling it so hard because it is pretty silly that they would use their like she's like uh benji don't use your powers in public and he's actually trying to be helpful i don't love that there's this weird line that you can cross sometimes from dennis the menace over into norman osborne at the beginning of renew your vows you know what i mean there's that that line that sometimes you can cross so sometimes i felt like benji looked mischievous not fun little 
little kid. And uh, that maybe that maybe was a little just like an artistic choice I would have done slightly differently as somebody who's over invested in this universe. But the payout at the beginning of the third issue with the roll of tickets terminating into the bag and she and Jason with Benji and them getting escorted into the VIP room, which is evidently some sort of, I don't know, Disney Chuck E. Cheese Five Nights at Freddy's. It's it's fun, but also I would have liked maybe just a little more. Yeah, no, I completely agree. There's I would have liked a lot, but that we get introduced to Randy Cade, Arcade the Third. <laughs> And we get no information about the relationship to Arcade. Not like a classic Spider-Man villain, but not somebody Spider-Man has never encountered. He fought him alongside Captain Britain back in Marvel Team-Up, which is the famous issues that first brought Captain Britain to the United States and get referenced throughout the history of the character, including famous issues of Excalibur Volume 1. Thank you very much. That is a big pull to then not explain. That like takes an issue that would like need an issue in and of it. Like, is this Arcade's son? Does he like specifically getting revenge for exactly the events that Nico is referencing? There's a lot to say there. Arcade is very rarely ever named he's not anybody whose last name is Cade but you know maybe it is here who knows we just have no idea and it just left me with so many questions and like you know I would not have hated somebody like Stephanie Williams introducing a big legacy villain for Mayday like the son of Arcade but we just don't really get that we just get that this is an Arcade dude and they then go through a wacky supervillain house experience which like you know kind of became clear was the thing that was going to happen and yeah like benji is at times like cool cute little kid with spider powers and sometimes he's like a annoying little like fucking muppet and that's all fine that's that's what happens when you put kids in stories but all i wanted was a little bit more to hang on to here that i could carry with me into my next phase of life being completely unsure about what's going to happen with mayday and there's a lot of really wonderful touches like i love the claw which features plush monster-esque character versions of characters like dr doom ultron mole man magneto taskmaster thanos modok loki doc ock kang uh, some sort of goblin but the color scheme kind of makes it hard to tell who it is and then you see the other machines in the area bullseye the claw right and if you keep going and you go into arcade really not a great character's backstory if all of his traps are themed to villains you can actually see that the arcade he was playing was themed to like the good guys but it's secret wars and then he plays in an iron fist game okay well it does look like iron fist is fighting fat cobra which i really love but then okay so it sort of seems to me like this is a world that is fully like this is a slightly different meta take on the mc2 in terms of its awareness of the world around it it seems a little bit more aware of like trade paperbacks than it seems aware of like the events of these heroes lives yeah i definitely see that all said and done i love that the two of them team up and it's like yes sis we don't have our costumes that line changes everything that means at this point in benji's life he has a spider costume i hope he's spider bug the groundwork laid by little annie getting her costume when she's eight years old i buy it for benji i really like the idea that when they become parents they just accept that they really 
really can't hold off on this stuff. And, you know, they they got to wait some amount of time with Mayday because it took a while for her powers to manifest. But with Benji, it's pretty immediate and they got to get on it early. The ultimate conclusion being that they bring down Arcade. Benji shows off some like crazy upper level strength. They work together. They stop the bad clowns. It's a pretty straightforward beat by beat. And that's okay because Benji's a little kid. There's a certain level to which I want to see a clever hero and I want to see a kid be clever for the sake of heroing, but I don't want to see a child be put in harm's way and forced into being unbelievably clever. Yeah, and you know, when you end on Benji finds himself in like a giant whack-a-mole with enormous mallet coming down that is going to hit him and presumably kill him is how we end issue three and issue four picks up and he's super strong so the the mallet doesn't harm him at all and he kicks the shit out of it which is then where you understand this is like a this guy this villain never knew who he was up against they were never in any real danger we are not doing like ooh, wouldn't it be fun if this six-year-old was almost about to die it's now they just got to get out now they are just kind of in a bit of a caper and he's good he is he's right in his element he is not really unsafe and we are not here looking at the spectacle of a, a child who is being really put in harm's way so it gets to be a little bit fun and i really do appreciate that because that is a plot that we read that's spider-verse literally yeah are they going to kill the kid is spider-verse and i'm glad all said and done that it does kind of end with well how'd it go ha 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 it's a cute touch it's a nice soft landing for me i'm probably a little disappointed but i can't help but notice the la- the number of like one last hurrah sort of lines throughout the script and i need to wonder if this is the last anticipated publishing schedule for mayday parker for quite some time and that's why it ends with a uh, the end for now because it doesn't read to me like the end for now it reads to me like <laughs> i'm not gonna be in the all-stars you know what i mean toot toot train's not gonna be coming here anymore so it's a it's a struggle to struggle to to feel uplifted by this but what i did get was a lot of hope for the future of mayday and a lot of hope for her potential and so i guess what i'm saying is i have to break out the defalco chart and i need to give this actual story gets like a c but the intent and the potential for mayday parker and little benji gets an a she's always gonna have the potential but man was this not that story yeah i agree i like i said i'm really happy that somebody wrote a piece of mayday's history that was not tom defalco and i feel like if we saw a couple more of those that fleshed her out a little bit that would be great but yeah it's disappointing because we just we are maybe sunsetting this character it's not really clear i will say she is appearing in this current dance lot spider-man that is you know uh, just another spider-verse story which we're gonna wait and not cover immediately we're gonna see how it goes but mayday is there and she's getting some references but there does not really appear to be anything on the horizon that makes us feel like they're still interested but then again there really wasn't anything before this infinity comic got announced so who knows i really had a nice time having a nostalgic kind of look back at mayday i just it is bittersweet in so far as i very much 
much feel like we don't need to be done with this character. And it feels like a lot of people are just going to be done with her. So I'm still hoping for the best. I do think that maybe today could be May Day is like a thing for her. You know what I mean? Like any minute could be the day where they tap back into this character. And what I hope is that if they need to test the viability of this character, maybe test digital exclusives. $1.99 digital exclusive four issue miniseries for the character. Get a strong, bold voice and don't be afraid to take the chances that always held the character back because when they were afraid to take chances, that ruined Renew Your Vows for us and then they picked it back up but then they were afraid to take chances again and the book got canceled too quickly for them to even try. So my heart lies with giving Mayday a chance to grow up. Like we want for Miles. Like we want for Peter. And it was just really nice getting to come back and play with Mayday for like a story, you know, hang out with the the woman who brought us here to, you know, be with the spider gal that got this whole thing going. And it's disappointing that this wasn't the story we wanted, but that it creates the context for potentially more stories is, I guess, the Maydayest thing you can do. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have put it better myself. I love that we have ended this fully the president's fan clubs and uh, longest standing members of the Mayday fan club. I still find this character so intriguing. And, you know, maybe maybe it's just our lot in life to be those cheerleaders until we get the chance to make that happen. I know I am personally ready to number one, keep it loose. Number two, slam heat. Oh, no, I'm not. No, but I'm also ready to keep it a spider girl. Nay, spider woman world on this show and even if this kind of represents probably you know one of the last bits of coverage in this fluid narrative we've been piloting for the last like six seven months i know that you and i are gonna come back we're gonna look at that 12 issues of spider-man i know we're gonna come back and look at it anytime mayday shows up anytime sakura spider shows up so this does feel a little bittersweet a little bit like a sad ending but in the same breath it feels like the not sad ending of Mayday Parker. It feels like, oh, okay, well, it's just until we pick it right back up because that's who this character is. Yeah, no, I 100% feel that same way. And I'm just always on the lookout for that person that has the same excitement and is going to take that next big leap for her. I dream that it could be somebody as bold and brave as an Alyssa Wong writing some sort of multiversal Avengers, but I will take any voice with the same heart and bold sense of justice that dominates Mayday's storytelling and personality. And it's really been a pleasure. And like, again, I don't feel that sad because I'm sure she's coming back. But, you know, it is just like, you know, every time we've gone to be done, there's been more somehow. And so knowing that there's still Spider-Man 1 through 12, I'll probably get emotional after that. You know, that'll be where I'm like, I can't believe this is You know what I mean? She didn't even show up. I think her dad did you see what they did to her dad? You know, so I do have hope that she'll be in spite of it. Till then, man, this has been a real fucking fun project. It has been such a blast and uh, I've learned so much and I'm so excited to take what I've learned and go visit other interesting universes and other totems and apply the same rigorous standards and joy for these characters to whole other worlds and other stories. Well, until we come
come back to do uh, just that. TK, where can everybody find you online? You can find me all over the socials. There are so many of them now, and we just don't know which one's going to stick. But everywhere, I just go as X, Nate, X, Gray, X. And of course, you can find me on this show weekly, sometimes more than weekly, often on video, discussing my favorite books, new and old. Got some interesting stuff coming up as far as that goes. So I'm not going to say specifically what days you will find me, but there will be days and I will be there. And you'll be able to find me right by your side every one of those days, as well as over at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N on Twitter, Instagram, and more. You can check us out over at the Hubs Plus Network on YouTube and at xsforpodcast.com where you can get the links to all that good shit. And until we come back, because I mean, we do have to do like a, a goodbye wrap up kind yeah, of we'll thing. Be I have to put together numbers. I have to, you know, this isn't really goodbye. And like I said, you know, we've got Spider-Man to do and sure, I'm I'm positive that, you know, we're going to like look in like Spider-Verse Unlimited number 50 is going to be like the wedding of Spider-Girl and J2 or something. And we're just going to be like, absolutely not. Well, maybe <laughs> so. But until keep this, keep the web of destiny and life spun. Keep your spider holes. No, keep your. We'll see you. Bye. Bye.